Let's turn over to Luke chapter 16 and let's start looking at some of these things. Did you know that Jesus taught more on the subject of giving than he taught on anything? The second coming is certainly a major doctrine of the church. The second coming has virtually nothing said about it in comparison to money. Healing is an important doctrine, but you know there is like two, three, four times as much said about money as there is about um, healing in the Bible. Deliverance is an important topic, but Jesus taught more on money than he taught on anything else. You know, if I had time, I'm debating about Mark chapter 10 and Luke 16, but let me just refer to this. I may come back and teach on it, but in Mark chapter 10, there was a rich young ruler that came and ran and fell down at the feet of Jesus. And you got to remember that uh, Jesus, when people came to his meeting, they were kicked out of the synagogue. So Jesus wasn't the most popular guy. He was certainly famous, but he was infamous. And for you to go to Jesus' meetings meant that you got kicked out of the synagogue and it separated you from the religious crowd of that day. It cost people something. And this guy publicly ran and slid and fell down at the feet of Jesus and said, Good master, what must I do to be saved? It's the wrong question. It's not what you do. It's what have you done for me to get saved? You can't save yourself. You need a savior. And this guy was missing that Jesus was the Savior. He was trusting in his own goodness. He says, what must I do? So Jesus says, well, if you want to know what you must do, then do all of these things. Keep the commandments. You know, the purpose of God giving the commands wasn't for you to keep them. It was given to show you that you can't keep them so that you'd despair of self-salvation and you'd say, God, if I've got to be perfect, then have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what the Bible says about the law. But anyway, this guy had missed it. So Jesus says, all right, if you want to know what you've got to do, then keep all of these commandments. And he says, I've kept every one of the commandments from my youth up. Nobody's ever kept all of the commandments. This guy had broken every one of the commandments. And you know how Jesus illustrated it? This guy was a rich man. He says, go take everything you've got, sell it, give the money to the poor. He wasn't asking it for himself. This wasn't a self-motivated thing. He says, give all of that money to the poor and then come and follow me. You know what? Jesus used his attitude about money to reveal the impurity of his heart. The very first command in, Genesis, in uh, Exodus chapter 20 says that thou shalt have no other gods before me. Did you know that that guy's money and what it could produce was more important to him than God? And that the Bible says, Colossians 3, 5, that covetousness is idolatry. This man... Money was more important to him than his relationship with God, and the Lord used money to reveal the attitude of his heart to him. Did you know that you, the attitude that you have about money, specifically giving money to the Lord, reveals volumes about where you stand spiritually? And I'm sure that there's some people that came in here tonight having no clue what I was going to minister on, and you wished you weren't here. <laughs> And you know what? That says volumes about where you stand with the Lord. It says a lot about your relationship with the Lord. Look in the 16th chapter of Luke. This is a parable that Jesus gave about a steward. In Luke chapter 16, verse 1, he said unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig. Probably he could have digged. He just didn't want to dig. 
He says, man, I don't want to do manual labor. He says, that's not for me. And he says, to beg, I'm ashamed. You know, the guy should have been ashamed to be a thief. He wasn't ashamed to be a thief, but he was ashamed to go out and beg. It's amazing the standards that people have. And he says, I'm resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, that they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then said he to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write fourscore. In other words, what he did, he knew he was fixing to get fired. And he wouldn't, he didn't know how he was going to make it. So what he did, he called in the creditors of his Lord and he discounted their bills. He gave them 50% off, 60% off, whatever, so that when he got fired, they would be in debt to him. He was using money to position himself, to gain favor, to, to accomplish something. Prior to this time, the guy wasted money. He took his Lord's money and he was stealing, but he wasn't storing up money. You can see that by the fact that when he was going to be fired, he didn't have anything left. He hadn't stolen the money and hid it somewhere so that he could use it in the future. He was just taking his Lord's money and wasting it. He was blowing it on things. He was buying things for himself, wasting his money or whatever. And so finally he decided, I've got to start doing something. I need to take this money that I've got access to and use it to buy myself favor with these people. And his Lord said unto him, in verse 8, it says, The Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. Now some people think, wait a minute, this is crooked. The guy discounted debts. He, in a sense, gave away his master's money for personal advantage. That was crooked. He was stealing his master's money, and yet his master commended him. Well, apparently this man was so wealthy that money wasn't an issue to him. Well, I could minister for an hour on this. I just need to say this. But you know what? Sometimes people who don't have money lust for it more than the people who do have money. We typically think that rich people are bound by money, but in some ways they're freer and people that don't have it because people that don't have it are scheming and thinking about it all the time. When a person has enough money, you know what? They've realized that it hasn't been all of their needs. They haven't been fulfilled and they actually are freer sometimes to use money for the right purposes than people who are, who are poor. We got some wrong attitudes. This man apparently was so wealthy that the money wasn't an issue and he saw that for the first time that steward started using the power that's in money. I don't know if you know it, but money's got power in it. And it's not evil power. It's just got power. The money has no more, the money isn't good or bad. It depends on the person that's using it. You can take a hundred dollar bill and you can use it to bless somebody. You can open them up to God. You can make their heart sensitive to God by blessing them and giving. Or you can use that hundred dollars to tempt that person, to bribe that person. You can use that $100 and give it to somebody to go beat up that person. That $100, it's the same $100. It doesn't have any power. It depends on what you do with it. It depends on the way you use it. Money isn't good or bad. It's the way you use it. This man had been using money just to blow, to satisfy himself at that moment. He hadn't thought about the future. He had never seen the potential power that was in money to affect your future. He was just wasting it. He wasn't a good steward. 
And even though he still used his Lord's money and he was totally selfish, for the first time this man was using money to affect his future, to accomplish things in the future. He was using the power of money for a positive purpose. And that's what the Lord commended him over. It says, The Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely, for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. All this means is that lost people sometimes see the potential and the power of money more than believers do. And part of it is because of misunderstanding. We've got so many religious concepts about money. People will say things like, The love of money is the root of all evil. That's an exact quotation from 1 Timothy chapter 6. But what they do, they apply it and say, Money is the root of all evil. They think that money's evil. I actually heard a guy on radio preaching against health wealth preachers. Think about that. You're against people who believe in health and wealth. And if you think that that's evil, then that means that you are for sickness and poverty. <laughs> Jesus died to redeem you from sickness. He also died to redeem you from poverty. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might be made rich. And you can't say that that's just talking about spiritually, emotionally. If you read it in context, all of chapter 8 and all of chapter 9 is talking about money. Jesus became poor financially so that you could become rich physically, financially. There's a lot of people that don't believe that, but it's a part of the atonement. Prosperity is provided in the atonement. And there's people who don't understand that. So when they're preaching against health, wealth preachers, they're preaching against the atonement of Jesus. They're preaching for sickness and poverty. Who wants to be a sickness, poverty preacher? If I have to choose between those two, I'll be a health, wealth preacher. <laughs> Let me just add a little disclaimer, a little PS. I'll come back to this thought. But you know what? When the thing that offends people about preaching on finances is when they think that you are preaching about accumulating great wealth for yourself. They see it as selfish. And this is a sideline. I, I could minister on this for days. But if you understand prosperity properly, prosperity is not selfish at all. Prosperity is not so you can have a big house, a big car, so that you can have nice things. That is not what prosperity is for. Prosperity is so that you can preach the gospel. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18 says he gives you power to get wealth so that he might establish his covenant here in the earth. That's why God gives you power to get wealth is so that you can establish his covenant in the earth. It also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, that God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound unto every good work. That's the purpose of prosperity. It's so that you can give to every good work. Did you know if you have things that you would like to give to, if somebody's in a building program, if somebody's on radio, television, if somebody's preaching the gospel, if you would like to support somebody who's starving someplace in the earth and yet you can't do it, then you aren't prosperous according to God's standard. Prosperity is having enough so that your needs are taken care of and you can abound unto every good work. If you aren't giving to everything, if you aren't able to bless other people the way you desire to, then you aren't prosperous according to God's standard. Prosperity isn't measured in houses and cars and things like that. Prosperity is measured in being able to give to everything. 
And a true attitude of a prosperous person isn't a selfish, greedy attitude. It's a giver. It's a person who lives to give. If God can get it through you, he'll get it to you. The reason many people never prosper is because they are believing for prosperity so that they can consume it on themselves. And the Bible says in James chapter 4 that if you are asking so that you can consume it upon your own lust, you will not receive. There are probably some people right here who are quoting the scriptures and believing God for prosperity, but it's so that you can have a bigger house, a bigger car. That's not it. So what am I saying? Am I saying that you aren't supposed to have a big house and a big car? I'm saying that that shouldn't be your goal. Your goal ought to be to give. God, prosper me so that I can be a blessing. God, prosper me so that I can give. And if you ever do that, as the money flows, one hand to receive and one hand to give, and as the money flows through, there's plenty for you. It'll just stick to you. Amen. You know, I've given away a bunch of cars. Right now, I'm buying two people cars, brand new cars, and I'm paying for all that. You know, I've done those things for years. I've given away dozens of cars, brand new cars, good cars. I didn't do it to get a car. I did it because I saw somebody that had a need and I wanted to be a channel of blessing. But you know what? As a result, I didn't pray for this. I didn't ask for it. But it's now been 11 years that I've had somebody buy me brand new cars. I drive nothing but brand new cars and I don't buy them. They're given to me. I didn't give it for that reason, but you know what? It works. I'm not seeking things. We went to buy a house, and it was so expensive that a builder says, I'll help you. And I paid $60,000 for a 2,400-square-foot house. And the thing's now worth about 350000 The thing was probably worth 150000 when he built it. The guy just basically gave it to me. I got a nice house today, but I paid less for it than most of you did. Amen. <laughs> I didn't give for those reasons, but you know what? God blesses me, and I'm blessed. So the point I'm making is, am I saying you have to do without? No, you can be blessed, but you shouldn't, you shouldn't seek prosperity to get your needs, and then if you have a little bit over, you're going to bless the Lord. You know what? If you can get the attitude that you seek first the kingdom of God, and God, I want to give. God, I'm going to abound unto every good work. God, I'm going to live to give. God, I want to be a blessing. Oh, God, prosper me so that I can be the one who buys the radio station. God, prosper me so that I can give a car to somebody. You start praying like that, and I can promise you, even though you don't have any ulterior motive in it whatsoever, you can't help but be blessed. I've got a friend in Chicago, pastor of a church. He was raised in such poverty. The guy had malnutrition when he was little, and it's a long story. He got born again. And uh, he's now pastoring a church in Chicago. And this man gives away about $40,000 per month, the pastor of a church. He gives it away. He's one, he's one that buys my car for me. I was with him one week where a missionary came through. I was ministering at his church, and he gave the missionary $10,000. He gave me $19,000. And he gave a, another guy, Dave Duell, who was there, a brand new car that was worth $35,000. Did all that in one afternoon. And you know what? People criticize him because he drives a brand new Corvette. But I was also there the afternoon that a company drove up and unloaded it and anonymously gave it to him. He didn't buy it. Somebody just gave it to him. 
They think he's living an, an opulent lifestyle. But you know what? You start giving and it just comes back to you. And this guy, he lives in a house that's probably worth $500,000. And some people criticize him and say, boy, a pastor of a church doing that. But look at it this way. He lives in a house that equals about one year's worth of his, his giving. How many of you would like to live in a house that equals one year's worth of your giving? Just add it up. I bet you not many of you would want to do that. You know what? God, he doesn't have a money problem. God's like this, this um, rich owner here. You know, money's not a problem to him. He paves his streets with gold. <laughs> Amen. I mean, God's not in trouble. And so what a person has isn't important. It's what they give. God gives to you proportional to how you give. And you know what? This man is living more simply, more frugally than most of you in here from God's perspective. God didn't ask for a $1,000 gift from everybody. He asked for 10%. If all you got's a dollar, you got a dime to give. And God sees that as just as great a gift as a person who gives a $1,000 off of $10,000. He sees a dime off of a dollar as a greater gift than a person who gives a million dollars out of multi-million dollar income. God looks at things in percentages. And you know what? This man who is criticized for the way he lives gives a greater percentage of what he has away than probably any person in here. And in God's eyesight, that man is living a simple lifestyle. I tell you, we've just got some sorry opinions about money. So I got off on this by saying that your purpose should not be to get... If you understand prosperity, prosperity is not greedy. It's not selfish at all. It's so that you can produce, so that you can bless people, so that you can build the kingdom. A person who says, well, I've got enough, and I've never asked God for any more. I'm content with what I've got. That is a super greedy, selfish attitude. For you to say, I've got enough, means that you think all that money is for you. And since you got your needs met, I don't need any more. You've missed the whole point of prosperity. Prosperity isn't for you. Prosperity is so that you can be a giver. And any of you who say, I've got enough, shows that you aren't a giver. Because I guarantee you, the needs out there are just humongous. And if you think you've got enough, it shows that you're using money for yourself. You're seeking first your kingdom instead of first the kingdom of God. And that's the reason all of these things hadn't been added unto you. Stinking thinking in this area of finances is the very thing that's hindering your finances. If you're trying to believe for a bigger house, a bigger car, more so I can do this and provide for myself, that's the very thing that's hindering you from prospering. If you'd get the attitude of, man, I want to sow it into the gospel. God, help me to bless somebody. Lord, how much can I give away and still survive? You get that attitude, and you know what? It'll be a very short period of time until you are prospering more than you've ever prospered in your life. Ephesians 4.28, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather work with his hands that he might have to give to him that needs. The Lord tells you why you were supposed to work so that you can have to give to him. Did you know when you get a job, you shouldn't sit down and figure out what your needs are. What's my house payment? What's my car payment? How much is our insurance? What's our food? And I've got to have this much to cover it. You know what you ought to do? You ought to sit down and say, God, 
I want to support 15 missionaries. How much would it take to do that? And you sit down and you start thinking, God, what kind of pay do I have to have to meet those basics and give to these people? And you start, you start praying that way, and I guarantee you, you'll prosper more than you've ever thought possible. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10, it says, God who gives seed to the sower, both multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. It says God gives seed to sowers. In context, this is talking about givers, a person who gives their seed instead of eats it all. God gives seed to sowers. Let me turn this around and say it this way. If you're short of seed, you aren't a sower. The reason, the very reason many of you are poor is because you are trying to get your needs met instead of trying to be a channel of blessing to meet the needs of other people. And that's stopping you from receiving. You don't have God's attitude. God will give seed to sowers. If you would say, Father, you promised me that if I'd seek first, 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 that means foremost, primary, if I would put first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, you will add all of these things unto me. The things are talking about food, clothes, where you sleep, things like that, basic necessities. Did you know that if you will say, Father, I want to be a giver above anything else. I want to live to give. God, help me to bless somebody else. If you will put God first, God will become responsible for your needs. Man, that's awesome. You know, there's not one out of a thousand Christians who has the attitude that I'm talking about. Most Christians, I can guarantee you, are out there struggling and fighting to meet your needs and praying that you'll have a little bit left over so that you can give. But if you were to have a decrease in your finances, I guarantee you the very first thing that would go is your giving. You take care of these necessities. You've got to do this first. And if you can, you give. That's not seeking first the kingdom of God, and that's the very reason that you're poor. I'm preaching better than you're listening. <laughs> this is good stuff. I had a lady tell me this last week. She says, the reason we're so quiet says you aren't supposed to talk with your mouth full. She says, man, I was so full. <laughs> I was just trying to digest all this. <laughs> Maybe that's what you're doing, praise God. Look at this down in verse 9. He says, and I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. That's talking about money, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitation. You know what this is saying? This is old English, but here's what he's saying. Use money, the mammon of unrighteousness, to make to yourself friends so that when you fail, talking about when you die, if you look this word up in the Greek, it's talking about when you die, they will receive you into everlasting habitations. He's saying you need to get as smart as this man and quit using money to just waste on things like food and clothes and rent and cars and start turning your money into eternal values. Invest it in something eternal and start changing people's lives with money so that when you die, you enter into heaven, there's going to be a line of people to meet you and say, thank you, you're the one who gave so that I could be born again. That's what he's saying. He says, and use your money for something future. Have you ever heard this saying that you can't take it with you? Talking about your money? You know, it's really not true. You can't take it with you. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. 
But you know what? You can send it before. Everything you invest in the gospel or in people's lives, giving and blessing them so that they will see the love and the compassion of God, everything you do like that is putting that money into eternal values, investing it in lives, and someday you are going to be so wealthy. People will meet you in heaven and welcome you in, and you're going to say, oh, thank you, Jesus, that I didn't use that on a house or a car or something else. Thank you that you helped me to invest in somebody's life. You're going to rejoice for all eternity. You're going to be rich beyond measure because of all of the things that you've done. You can turn money into something tangible that will last for eternity. And you know, the sad thing is, most people, what they've got isn't enough to really prosper. It's just enough to get by. If, you, if what you have in your hand isn't enough to meet your need, then turn it into a seed and plant it into your future. Some people say, well, I just don't have enough. Well, then you're the person that needs to give more than anybody else. You had not got anything to lose because what you got is not enough anyway. Amen. <laughs> it's not going to do you anyway. Good. Give it. Amen. Let it go because it's not going to meet your need. You need a miracle. And yet it seems like the people who don't have enough are the ones who hold on to it tighter than anybody else. And you need to change some thinking here. You need to use your money to turn it into something eternal. Invest, invest it in the lives of people. Use money to bless people. You know, I was out to eat in uh, Michigan and we went out after a service, and it was like 1.30 in the morning. It was one of these all-night joints. And a waitress came over. There was a whole table of us preachers sitting around, and we were laughing and cutting up. And this waitress, she didn't say anything. She was nice. She was polite. But I just looked at her, and boy, I felt compassion go out for this lady. She was hurting. Something was wrong. I didn't know if it was just a long day at work or what it was. But I kept watching her, and every time she came over, I just felt compassion for her. And you know what I did? I gave her a $50 tip. I paid for that, and I gave her a $50 tip for four guys. And this woman, boy, she came running back to the table. She says, you made a mistake. You gave me a $50 bill. And I said, I know. I did it on purpose because I just felt the compassion of God. Jesus loves you. And I said, I don't know what your problem is, but Jesus loves you. And this woman broke down and started crying. She was going through a divorce. She had kids at home, and she... It touched her, and you know what? That lady got born again for 50 bucks. You know, that's what money's for. Some of you would look at that, well, man, that was $45.53 more than the tip should have been. You missed it. Money's to bless people with. Money is to touch people's lives. Money isn't for you. Some of you, well, what would happen to me? You'd have God start supplying your needs. And I guarantee you, God is not El Chipo. He is El Shaddai. God will meet your needs better than you will meet your needs. If you would start saying, Father, my needs aren't important. I can live in this shack forever. Who gives a rip? But God, I want to give to you. You get that attitude and start giving, and I can guarantee you, you can't stay in a shack. God will see to it that you're prospered somehow. Somebody will do something. Something will happen. You can't stay poor with, an, with, a, with a rich attitude. You can't stay poor with a giver. If you're a giver, God gives seed to sowers. He doesn't give seed to hoarders. 
And the very reason some of you are poor is because you aren't a giver. You're believing for prosperity to get your needs met. You missed it. The reason he commended this unjust steward is because, hey, you finally got it. Money isn't just for you. Money is to touch other people and to do things. Now, he had an ulterior motive, but nonetheless, this steward finally began to start using the power of money for the future and thinking about something other than just filling his belly for the moment and doing something short-term. He began to see the power that was in money. And look what the Lord went on to say in verse uh, 10. He says, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, talking about money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or money. Did you know that you cannot be seeking money for selfish purposes and seeking money for godly purposes at the same time? Some people think, well, I'm seeking to use money to advance the kingdom of God, but I've also got to take care of myself. The whole point of what he's saying here is you can't be divided like that. If you compare this with Matthew chapter 6 where it goes on to say, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. In verses 18 through 20, the same wording is used. You can't serve two masters, etc. And in those instances, it makes it very clear that it's saying you can't be divided. You have to have a single eye. Anything other than single is evil. This isn't saying that, well, you give 50% of your time to meeting your needs and 50% of your time to meeting God's needs. This is saying be single. You can't serve two masters. You make the purpose of your prosperity is to give. You live to give. You live to bless somebody else. You live to put first the kingdom of God. When you get a job, you think more about, God, is this going to enable me to fulfill my goals of giving? Is this going to help me to do something for somebody else? That's the purpose. And if you put that first, then God will take care of these other things. It's not a 50-50 deal. It's 100%. You put your purpose, your focus on, God, I want to bless you. God, I want to bless people. I want to be a giver. You give with that attitude, and you know what? God will start moving in your life. But back in verse 10, it says, He that is faithful in that which is least. You know what he's talking about? Money. Here's a radical statement. You not, might need to kind of grab hold of your chair so you don't fall out of your chair on this one. Money is the least area, the lowest level of stewardship that there is. That's what he's saying. If you are not faithful in that which is least, how are you ever going to have something of true worth and value committed to you? Money is the least area of stewardship. It's the least area of faithfulness that God has asked of you. The least, the lowest. It's the beginning. And let me say this, that if you can't trust God with your finances, if you can't give 10%, and of course 10% is just a starting place. There should be offerings and things above that. If you can't trust God with your giving, and yet you're coming up to me and say, oh man, I know I'm saved, I know I'm on my way to heaven. 
Well, are you a tithe? I, I, I can't give. Well, God said that if you give, it'll be multiplied back to you. And you say, well, I can't trust that. I can't give. What would happen to me? You're going to tell me you can believe for eternal values, for salvation. You're going to believe for healing of cancer. You're going to believe for the raising of the dead, the opening of the blind eyes, and you hadn't yet believed for the least area of stewardship. You're deceiving yourself. That's the least area of stewardship. You know that if I can do the greater, then I can do the less. Like, for instance, if I could jump from here over all of these chairs right to the back to that back door, if I could just jump across all of you, that'd be a miracle, right? But if I could do that, I guarantee you I could jump to that front row. If you can do the bigger, you can certainly do the less, but you can reverse that and you can say this, if I couldn't jump from here to there, you just might as well hang it up trying to jump from here to back to the back of the room. If you can't do this, there's no way you're going to do that. A person can't trust God with their finances is like jumping from here to there, and yet they tell me that they can jump all the way back there. They can trust God for eternal salvation. They can trust God for their healing, for deliverance, but I can't trust God to give 10% of what I've got. I hope you're seeing something here. You know what? Money, stewardship over money is more important than any of us have ever thought. And the very reason that some of you are having all kinds of other problems is because you had never trusted God with finances. You had never proven Him in these small things. And you're deceiving yourself into thinking that I've, I'm really trusting God for my marriage. And yet you've never given a tithe. Or you just give it when you have a little bit extra or something. I'm not saying this to condemn anybody, but you know what? You're deceiving yourself because money is the least area of stewardship. And if you aren't faithful in the least, you'll never be faithful in other areas. Many of you are hindered in your finance, in your physical healing because of your stewardship of money. There are many of you that are sick tonight because you've never taken the first step and you've never become faithful in your finances. People departmentalize their life and they say, well, finances, that's an area over here, but salvation, I got that, and healing, I got that, and love, I'm operating in that. It, you can't really departmentalize your life like that. The Lord is saying this is the beginning place. This is the least, the least. Anybody miss what I'm saying? This is the least. If you can't trust God with your finances, you're deceiving yourself to believe that you're trusting in all these other areas. If God told you to give, and yet you're afraid that if you give, it won't come back to you when He promised that there's a hundredfold return. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. Man, all of these promises. You know, if you've trusted me tonight, I have no idea if you do or not, but if you trusted me tonight, and if I, t if I gave you a promise that for every person that comes up here and gives me $10, I'll give you $100. If you trusted me and believed that, I don't care if you needed that $10. You would give it because you knew that you'd have 100 in return. And if you didn't have $10, you'd poke your neighbor and say, can I borrow $10? <laughs> I'll pay you back 20 but give me 10 You know what? If you trusted me and if you really believe that money was coming back to you, you'd give. Those of you who say, but I can't give. I don't have it to give. No, all of you have money. But you know what? You don't trust 
that when you give, it's going to come back. You need that $10, and you don't see it. It's coming back as 100 or or $1,000. The bottom line is you don't trust God. And yet you're saying, I trust Him in all these other bigger areas. If you can't jump to there, you can't jump to there. If you can't trust Him in these finances, you can't do the other things. Finances are important. This is not a separate issue. If anybody's in here saying, man, I wish you'd stick to the gospel and not minister on finances, finances are part of the gospel. Jesus died for your prosperity the same as He died for your forgiveness of sins. Jesus suffered poverty the same as He suffered sin. And Jesus ministered more on finances than just about anything else because He understood this dynamic. He understood that if you can't trust in this area, then you can't trust in any area. Brothers and sisters, you know why you need to give? Not because some preacher needs your money. You need to give so that you can trust God, so that you can obey His Word, so that you can get this attitude of being a giver. Giving is for you. It's not for me. Giving is for you. And many of you have missed this, and I'm not criticizing you because there's reasons. Most ministers really do do a sorry job on receiving the offering. <laughs> Amen. And most ministers really do present it as like, please help us. But that's not the right way. You need to recognize that, man, you need to give. You need to live to give. If you're a sower, God will get the seed to you. If you'll live to give, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God, God will add other things unto you. Now, that shouldn't be your motive is, I'm giving God, so now give to me. You know, the Lord understands your heart. And even if you develop the outward attitude so that you could fool me, God still knows, all right, they're just going to give for a week or for a month to see if this works and if it pans out. And if they benefit by it, then they'll continue to do it. God knows what's in your heart. But you know what? If some of you were to listen to the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit was to touch your heart tonight, and you were to say, man, I see this. I hadn't seen this. I've been actually selfish. I've been, I've been wanting money to meet my needs instead of other people's needs. I've been thinking about, God, how can I get my needs met? And if the Holy Spirit quickened this to you, and if you got an understanding of it, you know what? If you would respond and do it with the right attitude, well, God would just... First of all, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Very few people really believe that scripture. Most people would rather receive than give. But you know what? When you really get into giving, it really is more blessed to give than to receive. I'd rather give than receive. The matter of fact, the reason I like receiving is because it allows me to give. I do believe for a return on my giving, but not so that I can have, but so that I can give more. I'm believing for more, bigger, better things. And I know some of you in here just believe, you're skeptical, you believe that I'm telling a lie. Some of you don't trust me. But I'm saying before God, I'm telling you the truth. That's the reason I believe to prosper, is so that I can give, so that I can sow it into the kingdom, so that I can touch somebody's life with it. Man, we give away bunches of money. We give away sometimes $10,000 cash per month in addition to about 25,000 tapes a month we give away and all the other things we do. We give away lots of money. And we bless people with it. It's fun. I got one guy on staff that that's his job is just to give away my money. 
He likes it. He does a good job with it. He's a good steward. Amen. What did you see something tonight? Good. We've missed the power of money. We've misunderstood some things. And there are many of you that are bound in other areas of your life and you've never made the connection, but it's your attitude, it's your selfish attitude. It's your greedy attitude that's actually binding you in other areas. I can tell you this, by my personal experience, I've discussed this with my wife and some other ministers, I have never, ever, 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 ever met a minister who was really flowing in the power of the Holy Ghost, somebody that I respected and I wanted what they had. I have never met a person like that that didn't have a revelation on giving. Here's another way of saying that. I have never seen a person that I consider to be mature and really prospering in other areas that didn't have this area of finances dealt with. I've never, I've never, ever, and I know lots of people and I've covered lots of territory, I have never seen a person that I thought was hitting on all cylinders spiritually that didn't have it in this area of finances. You know what, that says something. That says that some of you that are trying to win battles in these other areas and yet you've never exerted your faith in the area of finances, you're hurting yourself. This is a starting point. It's a starting point. You know why God asked you to give? Again, it's not because His church is in need. Sad to say, so many ministers are in need and they aren't operating in prosperity. But God Himself is not poor. And the Lord didn't ask you to give because He needed your money. Psalms chapter 50, if I had time, I'd like to turn over there, but Psalms chapter 50, he says, if I were hungry, would I ask you? He says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. He says, why is it I asked you to bring me sacrifices? I didn't ask you to bring me a sacrifice because I'm hungry. If I was hungry, I wouldn't ask you. I could get it. I could feed myself. So why did God ask people to give sacrifices? Because they needed to trust God. God hates, hates Sunday-only Christians that departmentalize their life and they have a one day a week that's God's and then the rest of the time is theirs or a one hour a week or people who just do a devotion. I'm not against devotions. I put out devotions. But if all you do is read a little devotion and then the rest of the day is yours to act like you want, God wants to be involved in everything in your life. Did you know it's God that gave you your health? We take stuff like this for granted. But you know what? If you're, if you're able to go work, it's God that gave you your health. It's God that made your brain function. The difference between a normal person and a person that's just totally retarded is just a tiny chemical difference. And that balance, it's God that gave you your sound mind and ability to process. It's God that gave you your talents. It's God, it's God that lets you live in a nation that has unparalleled opportunity. It is God who caused you to live in this time. God is involved in your prosperity. And yet here you are working your tail off for this money. And it's easy for you to think, this is my money. I earned this. I did this. This is mine. But the truth is, it's God who enabled you in every area to get it. 
So how does he get you to where you see him as your source of finances? Well, the simple way is he just says, give me 10%. You know why? Because if what you have isn't enough, if you would like to have more and you're working towards these goals, and if what you have isn't enough, and yet you take 10% of it away, you're moving away from your goal instead of towards your goal. It's crazy. It makes no sense. There is no physical reason, zilch, zero zip reason, to take a portion of what you have and give it away unless you trust God and unless you believe the promises of God. It automatically, for you to give, throws you into a realm of faith and trust and reliance. And that's what God wants. He doesn't want your money. God wants you to trust Him. So therefore, if all that be true, which it is, then the person who says, well, I want to give, but I just don't have it to give. All of you have money. What you're saying is, I can't trust God to give. You're missing the whole point. If you were to win the lottery or to get an endowment, and if you had extra money and you gave then, did you know what? You'd be missing the real dynamic behind giving because you wouldn't have to trust God for the return. You know when giving does the most good is when you're down to 50 cents or something and you, you give a nickel. That's when it does you the most good because, boy, it's hard to let go of that nickel. That nickel could mean a difference. But when you've got it to spare, see, a lot of people are saying, I'm going to give when I get it. What they're saying is, I'm going to give when if I give and it doesn't come back, if God's word doesn't come true, I can still make it. You know what? If you give under those conditions, you've missed the blessing and your giving is wasted. Matter of fact, if you've got so much money that you could give $100 or $1,000 and it's no skin off of you, it doesn't have to come back. Then you hadn't given enough. You need to give until God, I trust you. And I need a return on this. And I'm trusting you. I'm giving this to prove you. That's what the Bible says in Malachi chapter 3. Prove me herewith, saith the Lord. The only time in the Bible he said to prove him, to try him. He just, he challenged you. Try me on this. Just try it. If you aren't giving enough that it takes a miracle for you to make it, then you didn't give enough. Man, this is good stuff. I tell you what, there is a spiritual dynamic to giving that most people don't recognize. And we are doing a tremendous disservice by just passing the plate and you tip God. You give him, you give really to satisfy your own conscience so that somebody will think you did something. You never gave with a thankful heart. You never gave saying, oh God, I'm trusting you. God, I, I want to bless somebody. I want to help somebody besides me. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, that if you give all of your goods to feed the poor, or even if you give your body to be burned and don't do it motivated by God's kind of love, it profits you nothing. God is more concerned about the attitude behind your gift than he is about your gift. It's the attitude, God. God's after your heart, not your wallet. But you know what? There is a direct line between your wallet and your heart. You touch a person's wallet, and I guarantee you their heart all of a sudden just perks up. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. 
Most people think wherever your heart is, that's where your money goes. The Bible says it's where your money goes. That's where your heart is. If I was to take your purse or your billfold and walk out this back door, did you know what? Your heart would go with me. <laughs> you would be thinking about me. There is a direct link between your wallet and your heart. And that's the reason that when you say, we're going to teach on giving, some people go, oh, you know what? Because your wallet is more important to you than blessing other people. And it's reflected in your heart and in your emotions, your whole, I bet you if you could put a, uh, some of these machines on you, your heart rate would change when somebody <laughs> mentions finances. There's a spiritual dynamic attached to it. And brothers and sisters, I really feel strong tonight that the Lord told me to do what I'm doing. Because you need this. There are some of you in here that are just like beating your head against the wall and you can't understand why you aren't healed, why your marriages aren't working, why other things aren't working. Why are you depressed? What's going on? And you know what? You hadn't even started yet to be faithful. You hadn't even applied yourself in the least area. You just let that go. And yet you think you're going to be able to clear the thing and get all the way to the back. No way. I believe that this is the Lord not trying to get from you. God's trying to get to you. God's trying to bless you. And he's challenged you tonight. That you know what? You need to become a giver. You need to change some things. And there's not a person in here that can't respond to this tonight because it doesn't matter if all you have is a penny. Give it. Penny's not going to do you any good anyway. <laughs> give it. If all you got's a dollar, give a dime. Do something. I actually heard Kenneth Copeland talk. He had this revelation a long time ago. And he was so poor that when an offering came by, he didn't have anything. And so they passed out offering envelopes and gave you little wooden pencils to write your name and address on for a receipt. He didn't have a penny. But he took their offering envelope and their wooden pencil, wrote his name and address on there, and stuck the pencil in there. <laughs> now that's being pretty poor, but he gave what he had. And you know what? Before he left the meeting, somebody gave him a $20 bill. And he took that $20 bill, went and got his offering, took the pencil out and put the $20 bill in. Man, that's awesome. I'm not doing this tonight because I want your money. I'm not receiving an offering for me. I'm receiving an offering for these men so that they can go and be refreshed. Our minister's conference is an awesome time. And I asked Ray and Chuck about it, and it made a difference. And so next year, they're bringing their wives with them. You know what? This will come back into this body. It will benefit these people. You're sowing into your future. You're doing something that's going to refresh these guys, inspire them, give them the Word of God, encouragement, keep them in the ministry. Increase the anointing of God that's manifest through them. You're sowing into the lives of people. So I'm not asking for this for a selfish purpose. I honestly, sincerely am trying to get you to recognize that the only way you're ever going to prosper, not only financially, but emotionally, spiritually, in other areas, you've got to start being faithful. Brothers and sisters, if you can't trust God with your finances... It's stupid. It's ludicrous to trust God for your eternal salvation. If God can't handle money, He certainly is not faithful over eternal values. Man, this needs, this, there needs to be changes. 
and nobody's told me a thing. But you know what? In the typical church, I have no idea if this is typical. Probably Monday night's not a typical group, so the, so the percentages may change. But typically, 20% of a church give nearly 100% of all of the money. And the others just put in a dollar here and there, a little bit to soothe their conscience. It doesn't prop... You know what? If you're going to give tonight because, well, I've taught on this and everybody's going to be looking and I've got to do something, <laughs> keep it because it's not going to do you any good. I'm ministering on this to do you some good. If you're going to give with a stinking attitude, you violate and void any benefit that your gift does. And you know what? They didn't ask for this. I'm sure that they could get to the minister's conference some other way. These aren't poor preachers that aren't going to make it. But I want to bless them. God told me to take my offering and give it to them. I want to bless them. I'm sowing into my future. I need $320,000 in the next three months, and I'm going to get it. Do you know what? I was in France not long. I was in France last October. I just was there last week, but last October I was there, and the Lord just was speaking to me about television. And I needed $60,000 to go buy television equipment. And I didn't have $60,000. So you know what I did? I gave an offering into the meeting of $1,300, and I had them pray and agree over it that God would multiply it back. And I did that in October. Did you know that today I got some reports and we have nearly to the penny $130,000 that came in to buy television equipment, a 100-fold return off that $1,300. Some of you think, well, coincidence. That's the reason you didn't get $130,000, amen, because you aren't believing for it. I tell you, stuff works. I didn't give just to get, but I knew that that principle works and I knew I needed some money. So yes, I did give and sow into my future. But I really wanted to bless that woman. She's in Monaco and it's against the law in Monaco to be anything but a Catholic. To be a citizen of Monaco, you have to be a Catholic. And it's against the law to have a church that's not Catholic. And she meets in Monaco and it's illegal. It's an underground church. And this woman's a fireball. She's doing a great work. And it's against the law for a pastor over there to receive money. They can't get money from the gospel. It's against the law to take it out of the church. So she has to work. And this woman is giving her life on the line. And so we now sow about $600 a month into her life and help her, support her. And I'm believing for more. That's not enough to support her. It's expensive in Monaco. I was just there last week and I never saw as many yachts in all of my life and Lamborghinis. Man, it's an expensive place. But you know what? I was there, I was wanting to help that lady. That was my primary reason, but I knew that it was going to come back, so I just sold it for a specific need. And you know what? It worked. Some of you tonight need to get hold of this principle, and you need to give on purpose. You need to give until it takes faith that God's going to return it unto you so that you can actually get into a position of faith, so that you can get into a position of God. I really want to give. I am not going to give you the leftovers. I'm going to give you the first fruits. Give God your best. Seek first the kingdom of God. And I challenge you tonight. Prove Him. Try it. I promise you, it'll come back. If we had time tonight, I could ask every person in here who's a giver and who has a revelation of this, and I believe all of us need to be stronger, but those of you that have a revelation and live like this, if I had time, we could have them stand and there wouldn't be a single person in here who lives to give 
that would stand up and say, I did it and it failed and I resent that I ever did it. Nobody will ever do that. Nobody. Once, and I'm not talking about you did it one time, but I'm talking about you do it consistently. Say, do this for a year because there is a sowing and reaping time. You do it for a period of time. Get beyond your immediate harvest so that it's not you looking for something. You're just doing it. It's a way of life. Nobody's ever done that who would stand up and say, I regret doing it. Nobody. Nobody. Ever. I tell you what, giving is one of the greatest things. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And tonight, I want you to get involved in that. You may never have heard a, a whole message on this and stuff and, and think, man, they spent the whole time receiving an offering. No, I spent the whole time teaching you the Word of God, how to prosper, how to receive from God. But I tell you, this, this could be a turning point in your life. This could be one of the most important messages you've ever heard. This will make a difference. I promise you. It'll work. Amen? So I want to challenge you tonight to give. And I want to challenge you to give in a big way. And I guarantee you, if they get a million dollars, they'll find a place to use it. Amen. I bet you they could come up with something. So don't worry about giving too much. See, don't give according to their need. Give according to your need. What do you need? How much does it take for you to give to get into a realm of God? I'm trusting you. That's what you need to do. You need to analyze your heart and give according to your need, according to what's in your heart, not according to their need. That's not the issue. Amen? Y'all ready to respond? The Bible says faith without works is dead. Act. Do something. Amen. Cheerfully. So how do you receive offerings here? Do you have an envelope that you give receipts for?